Dotnet Rocks episode 624 with guest Mark Miller. Recorded live Wednesday, December 29th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at Franklin's.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin, it's Richard Campbell, and it's Mark Miller. Hey, Mark. Hey, Richard and Carl. How are you guys doing? Hey, Richard. What's up, guys? It's snowing in Vancouver. It's snowing in Seattle. It's snowing in Connecticut. <laughs> Must be wintertime. We got hammered out here on the East Coast. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I saw this yeah. great time-lapse video of like three feet of snow coming down in 24 hours. It was. But you know what's really yeah. cool, though, is like New York City got pummeled. Boston got hammered. Yeah. Hartford, you know, Vermont. Massachusetts, wailed. Down here on the southeastern coast of Connecticut, we had this little, just this little eye that nothing came around. We call it the millstone effect. Millstone is the nuclear power plant, which is right down the street. This is what Jay calls it anyway, the millstone effect, because, you know, the the radiation just warms up everything (laughs) so far. The snow just doesn't even fall. I thought they were supposed to keep the radiation on the inside. (laughs) That's what they say. I don't know. There hasn't been any reported residual brain damage, residual brain damage, residual brain damage. So, Was was that Carl or was that the editor that just did that? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So long as we don't all sit around and glow, we're fine. You also make nuclear submarines right there, too. It's a whole nuke-a-rama around there. It's a nuke-a-rama. Yeah, we not only (laughs) do, and we store nuclear material and, you know, people wonder why they're dying of cancer. I don't know. You wonder. Well, guys, uh, let's not end the year on a down note. Uh, Mr. Miller, you know, we haven't had you on the show in a while, and it's always fun to catch up with you and see what's how your crazy life is. You sort yeah. of have the dysfunctional Brady Bunch out there in Seattle. What's going bit, on with that? Yeah, we, well, we actually the weather actually impacted us. We have uh, two kids that were flying from from Seattle to the East Coast, and uh, uh, I when we got to the airport, that we had it so they they were both uh, scheduled to leave at the same time. Um, in, on different planes. And so uh, Karen and I get there and we, we you know, do the standard uh, horror movie maneuver where we split up. And uh, I, 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 we, Karen and I have been watching zombie movies lately, by the way. And uh, so anyway, we, what could happen? We split, what could go wrong? So we split up. I take the, uh, I take the girl, she takes the boy. And uh, I, I, I go to, we, we get there like 65 minutes in advance. I, I, I see the line at Delta and it's like huge. And I talk to the agent. I say, look, there's no way we're going to get through this line in time. And she says, oh, don't worry. We'll call you when your flight is, you know, about to take off <laughs> so that you can <laughs> run. And I'm like, I don't want to check any bags. She's just unaccompanied minor. I just need to, you know, can I just go to the gate? And she goes, no, you have to pay here. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I stand in line, stand in line. And then she uh, uh, and meanwhile, I, I find out that uh, the boys' flight has been canceled, and the soonest we can get them out is like three days later because of the snowstorm in oh. Boston. So anyway, they they call me up. I I ultimately get up there, and the guy goes, "Um, your flight started boarding ten minutes ago." I go, "I've been in line for sixty five minutes. Get me in there." So he says, oh, he does goes through the whole thing and says, "You're going to have to run." So so the girl and I are running. We're getting to the uh, we, we're getting to security. You know, and I know like all the tricks, right? Go through the family line or, you know, pull out a mileage card or something like that. But as, as I, as we're heading to security, we see one just giant line and no really way around it. So we say, well, I know that SeaTac's got a couple of security uh, entrances. So we go to the next one down. As we do that, we pass by Karen and the boy. She's like, where are you, what are you guys doing? Aren't you supposed to be on your plane right now? And I like, we're going, we're going, we're going, you know, don't bother me. So, you know, we're getting the security. So we go all the way through security. We get all the way up to the front where the TSA guy goes he's looking at the stuff and then he picks up the card and he, he hands it to me he goes this is not you is it Ugh. and Jeez. i look at it and it's got my wife's name on it instead of mine because oh. this you know whatever it was all done in advance and i'm like no <laughs> so I, I call up karen I'm like, karen you got to get here now get here now get here now you run here now you've got like eight minutes before they close the doors and i'm just standing there at tsa they will not let me through you know, and I'm like saying, well, what if I didn't have ID? You could probably let me through. He's like, I don't think so, Miss Mangicotti. And I'm like, <laughs> uh. 
And then people are like, well, why didn't your wife take your name when she married you? And I'm like, don't bring that up right now. Okay? <laughs> so, so anyway, Karen finally shows up. She's running. I'm, I'm shouting at her, get her your ID, get your ID, you know, out. And she comes up, she gets in. She gets past the TSA guy. So she bypasses like, you know, 300 people in line, right? Because I'm standing up there. Then she's got the long lines to get through the x-rays, right? right? To get yourself through x-ray. And she and I and I see her just standing. I go, Karen, you have four minutes to get to the gate before they close. By the way, you're in S2. That means you got to take a train and it's about two and a half mile run. Oh. And so she's like, oh, okay. So she gets right up to the very front and she puts the puts her stuff on. Uh, and the TSA guy's any liquid and gels and care says, there cannot be a problem. And the TSA guy <laughs> goes, any liquids and gels? And she goes, no, no liquids and gels. And there cannot be a problem. She's doing the Jedi thing, right? You right. know, these droids are not the ones you're looking for. And now, of course, they so want she, to see her naked. So she's got to get in the x-ray machine, right? Yeah, no. So she gets through. Hold on. She gets through. She's running to S2, taking the tram, running again. And near the, near the end, you know, the girl is so tired. So Karen ends up picking up the girl and her suitcase and is carrying them both oh. running, running. Now, if you've seen Zombieland, which Karen and I both saw, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll get this joke. As she's running, some guy shouts out, rule number one, cardio. <laughs> she's running by. <laughs> So she gets she gets to the gate and she says, there's a plane, there's a plane. And somebody says, no, that's not your plane. Your plane is over there. And she sees and it's pulling out. Oh, jeez. Boo, the girl is really sad. And Karen turns to her and says, cry. And then she goes to the gate, the agent at the gate. And she's like, uh, oh, she's got to see her dad. She's got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. And they, after a few minutes, pull the plane back into no! a Put See, the girl on the plane and she gets out. This Karen is like the plane whisperer. She can make oh, anything my. happen. She had a she had a <laughs> pilot looking through the luggage the other day for her car seat when she was on a flight oh. because they checked it all the way through and she needed it on the next connecting flight. The pilot's down there looking for the car seat. He comes That's out. Unbelievable. And goes, what what what's this girl cr- crying on my plane for? And Karen, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just love that she commanded the child to cry. You need to cry it's really, now. It's it's pretty funny. She was she was already on the verge, oh, man, so it's not really an ethical violation, I think. But anyway, holy crap! Well, you know, usually on this show we get right into a little segment that we call "Better Know a Framework." And Mark, today you've got a class, right? This is this is new in .NET 4.0, and actually, I was inspired by this because you know we're supposed to be like I think five of us, right? Rory Blythe and well, and, six and were invited. Mark Dunn and Scott Hanselman were all supposed to be here. Yeah, um, it seems like it's only the three of us. So I was I I, I managed to find a class class called and actually it's an inter there's an interface and a class. The interface is I blow off, and the, <laughs> the class is blow off base. And of course, it's got you, those of you familiar with blow off base know it has the hey wanna do .net rocks method, and 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 then from that it, within the .net 4.0 framework, Microsoft has introduced the Blythe blow off class, which simply calls thread dot sleep in the override. <laughs> Rory is sleeping in. Yeah, he had to sleep in this morning. That was really important. Thanks a lot, Rory. And Thanks, then you've buddy. got the Hanselman blow off, which calls email.ignore. <laughs> and you've got the Dunn blow off, which calls, hey, I'm on vacation. What's yeah. .NET Rocks anyway? So, so anyway, that's those are the, the new classes for you there in .NET 4.0. Oh, that's you awesome. Awesome. Better. Well, guys, uh, this is, uh, you know, I want to look back because a lot has happened this year. And and I want to get into, you know, the Connect and Silverlight and F-Sharp going open source and things like that. But but something happened, interestingly, just at the end of the year, just, just a few days ago, really, that the FCC passed a net neutrality law, which basically separates the Internet into wired and wireless domains. And while it prevents um, any any internet service provider from attaching any preference to any kind of data, which is really what net neutrality is all about. It does sort of open the door a little bit for wireless companies to sort of do their own thing, which we don't really know a whole lot about yet. Have you been following this story, Richard? Absolutely. And and it's, it's a very interesting dance because, you know, there's stuff that falls under the net neutrality requirement that we've been doing for years. 
yeah. uh, arguably to protect people from themselves, like blocking port 25. People who had open relays, like set up mail servers improperly and so forth, just stopping that spam from traveling all the time. You know, the these different companies as ISPs would actually just block all of that. So yeah. if you use legitimate mail, you were fine. But if you were, you know, doing a weird thing with mail or you've been hacked, then it wouldn't work. And technically, you know, if you look at the concept of net neutrality is all traffic is equal, that's a violation of that. Right. I, I only think people started really caring about net neutrality when Comcast started doing BitTorrent tricks. Yeah, and ba- yeah, it's basically it. I mean, and we've heard the stories. I mean, I told you a story that I got uh, uh, shut off by my cable company from da- for downloading a torrent-based uh, uh, show, like a show that was on cable. I think it was My Name is Earl. Right. Because I missed it. So yeah. I downloaded it with the cable internet, and I missed it on regular cable, and they shut my internet off. When I called back, they said, oh, no, you violated, you know, you, you can't download that. And I, well, you know, why not? Because aren't you providing it one way or the other? So um, they, it basically, without this law, it would have given cable companies the ability to shut down that kind of traffic. Well, and, and Comcast did a really sneaky thing back in, in 2007, where they were actually in their routers were damaging BitTorrent packets. So rather than just cutting you off or letting you know that that was a problem, it's just the BitTorrent didn't work properly. It yeah, that's it would barely function. And so they, you know, which is a much smarter idea in the sense that it would make people give up on BitTorrent because it doesn't work, not knowing it was actually them that caused it not to work. Right, and you can't really call the cable company and say, "Hey, I'm, you know, this torrent doesn't work." Right. In the end, though, um, the only difference between downloading My Name is Earl from a torrent site and from watching it on cable is that you don't see the ads. Well, especially when you PVR the show off of cable so you can skip the ads anyway. Yeah, I, I, ju- I just thought that was silly. And especially because the whole world is going, you know, download TV anyway. What do you think of this, Mark? Do you do you do any of this kind of stuff? You probably don't watch too much television. I, I don't really either anymore. No, but I, I do agree with you that the trend is absolutely in this direction. And it seems to me that that the folks that are concerned about it are the, who's, who's, who are financially dependent upon uh, income through sources like uh, commercials on TV and things like that right. are – are are just not are, are maybe you know lying to themselves, telling themselves that it's not really happening. But right. my sense is that I think people are going to uh, are going to totally uh, uh, convert over. It's it's simply a matter of time before everybody shuts off. You know, getting access, getting content from cable, and instead getting it uh, through the internet. Yeah, I mean, we do we we do that. We watch. Uh, we use we disconnected uh, our cable about a year ago, I think, and we we go to Hulu if we want to watch something on TV. I think mm-hmm. primarily. And Netflix. That's, yeah, that's, Netflix is huge. Entertainment. Well, and this is where the care, you know, the conflict of interest here is your internet provider is a cable company, which normally wants to sell you television. And so they actually have, have an incentive to limit access to Netflix. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you think but, about how big Netflix really is, I mean, uh, maybe not the company, but the idea. I mean, they were really the first company to, I mean, they put Blockbuster out of business. Essentially, they did, and that was before they, they had the online download, the instant watching. That was really the nail in the coffin for, you know, for rental places. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a huge thing, and not surprisingly, lots of content is showing up there that won't be anywhere else. But I also, I mean, the net neutrality law, quote unquote, has not been passed. The FCC's just put a few more guidelines in place. Like we're a long way away from this actually being a resolved issue. Uh, yeah. And, it, and I'm, I've been poking around in different countries' laws. Like, generally speaking, nobody's passed a comprehensive law in terms of the, of what we, the classical concept of net neutrality. That, uh, and the real issue here is what they call common carrier law, right? Because long before there was internet, you had common carrier issues around stuff like telephone. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the cable companies weren't beholden to common carrier, the telephone companies were, and rather than push the cable companies into common carriers so that net neutrality was automatic, mm. the phone companies managed to convince the FCC to take them out of common carrier for internet service. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I, again, I'm not so sure where this is going, but you know, the FCC seems ready to at least be on the side of 
you know, not giving preferential treatment to uh, to data, which I think is a good thing to start. It's a good start. Yeah, I agree. And we got miles to go. It's, this is not done. Oh, no. But in the end, this is all the pains of consolidation, of of convergence. We only need one type of connection, data. Right. And all the services will travel over it. We do not need a separate telephone connection, a separate te- television connection, right. a separate cell phone connection. It's just there only needs to be one thing. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, let's start with the probably the, the some of the more interesting things and get to the more significant things. I was talking about uh, F-sharp going open source this year. And that happened late in the year. You know, the big, the original important news about F-sharp was when it shipped with Studio. Uh, yeah. Right, right. Back in April. And that was a big deal. They, they added a new language to the Studio suite and then later decided to open uh, source it, which I'm, I don't know. In some ways, it's almost poisonous to the language. Well, why do you say that? Just because it gives the sense of abandon, they open sourced Iron Ruby too, right? Like yeah. you know, they, it's almost a sense of abandonment by Microsoft. I don't know. I I kind of think the people that use F Sharp are are in that camp. Well, they you are know? now. Yeah, I sort of th- I sort of think they are, in general. You know, the academia kind of thing. Well, they, but that was not when when Soma Sega originally announced they're going to put it in the box. It's because they wanted to make it a mainstream language. Right. I think when they open source it, they basically admit we're not gonna. It's interesting. Yeah, Microsoft's just sort of backing away from it and saying, if you guys want to do something with this, knock yourself out. Well, does that say, does that say to you that the um, that the uptake wasn't as grand as they expected? I don't know that they ever expected the uptake to be grand. The whole F sharp thing was a very interesting movement because it's never made it as a general purpose language. It's a specialized language. Well, and it's good that it didn't. Almost. I mean, I kind of like that. You know, we finally got the F sharp pundits to come out and say. You know, if you're going to build a, a line of business application, use a language that's suited to that. And if you have things that require the functional aspects or a functional language, then you branch those off. Yeah. But I was scared when I, when, you know, when Ted uh, and Amanda were saying, Ted Neuer and Amanda Locker were saying, yeah, you want to use F Sharp for a bit line of business apps? Sure. Why not? Well, and you, and there's no real energy around wanting to use a function-based language around as a general purpose language. I think the real interest in function-based languages is around massive parallelism. Yeah. And F sharp didn't deliver that in the initial rev. And pushing it to open source pretty much guarantees Microsoft's not going to deliver it that way. Hmm. But there's still this need coming into the future here for a general purpose programming language that is inherently multi-threaded. Yeah. If you're like me, you're using Facebook on a daily basis. You also might want more control on what you're seeing and how you're seeing it. If that's the case for you, try FaceDeck. FaceDeck is a Silverlight-based client application for Facebook, now supported by Telerik. The product was formerly known as Microsoft Client for Facebook Beta. The news about Telerik taking over the application from Microsoft was announced by Scott Guthrie at his Firestarter event keynote. FaceDeck has a nice, elegant, black finish touch. You can upload photos with a simple drag-and-drop operation from your file system to your FaceDeck. You also have instant access to your webcam. What's more, FaceDeck will save you from notifications from unwanted applications. You only see what you care for. And of course, it's free. Try it at facedeck.telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Switching gears here a little bit, Mark, we talked to Anders Heilsberg a little bit about the next version of C-sharp. And in looking at C-sharp the way it is now, I mean, there's very little things that, I mean, yeah, he's going into this whole language compiler services, access to compiler services. But Mm -hmm. the language is just so robust now. Do you, is your right. wish list getting smaller for C sharp? Yeah, there's not really. There's you know I I'm still kind of I guess holding out for 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 virtual static methods. I I've been wanting these since the beginning of C sharp, but you know I've with with what like five years of therapy I managed to be okay now, with that. And tell I, the rest of us what that is a virtual static method. 
So the idea is that with a regular class and with instance methods, you, they can be virtual and then so you can override those. And the, the advantage of that is that you can provide default behavior in the ancestor virtual method. So when it comes time to create a descendant, you don't actually have to override all the methods. Right. It's, it's a little bit different from like an interface where with an interface you have to right. do – you have to you implement everything that the interface defines. It sort of allows for convention over configuration. Um, yes, right. So, so here's so 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 the thing with the um, virtual static methods, what they give you is they give you the ability to define in an ancestor class some default behavior. Like, say for example, I have an options dialog, and uh, I want to put some options pages um, on that dialog. I can have some default behavior for the options page uh, to specify, for example, like where that page goes in the tree. So, say for example, I've got a tree list of options pages, right? Yeah, and 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 so now when it comes time to uh, display the options page, I can go out to the the type and I can call that method on the type without actually creating an instance to say, hey, where do you go in the tree? Where's your position? And if I have a virtual static method, I can simply override that in my options page hmm. uh, implementer, my options page descendant, and and say I, this is my position, and then it can it can display the tree without actually instantiating the options page. Ah. What you get is a nice, clean, single class inside of that that implements your options page. W without that, what you need to do is you need to either specify uh, a uh, have a second class that's like kind of a uh, a factory that says here's here's where my options page goes, and I'm ready to create it whenever you tell me to do it. Right, so you're instantiating that factory element instead, and you've got one of those for each options page, or you might use attributes on the class itself, and then you have to go through and and scan for the attributes when you when you start up to get that information. So so those are and and the other thing that there's where there's an advantage to doing the virtual static methods is let's say I fail to override, for example, one of the things you can do with this you can say you have to override and and, and return a string here. For example, let's say I fail to do that. My virtual, the virtual, um, the static one that 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 where the behavior defaults to can simply be called, and that can return a, a magic string that says, "Hey, you have not implemented, uh, you've not overridden this, and you need to override this and present a message to the developer that says, here's what you need to do.' Hmm. Uh, for example, so is there any reason that you can think of why they haven't implemented this? Well, I think it's a CLR limitation is part of it, and and I actually spoke to Andrew Heilsberg about this um, a while back, like a couple of years ago. I, I uh, accosted him, and you know, security was called, and, yeah. and there's some some things that I'm, I'm still cannot reveal under gag order. But at any rate, um, <laughs> in other yeah. words, a normal personal yeah, contact with with Mark. Yeah. Right, exactly. I, th I think I told you guys this, but the first time I met Andrew Anders Heilsberg was like 12 years ago, and this was back when he was doing Delphi. Right. And. That's all I worked in, like 16 hours a day. So when I shook his hand, I didn't let go. And I, I said, this is like meeting my God. You create the universe that I live in. And I just went on for like minutes without letting go of his hand. And he just was looking desperately left and right for someone to help. He's a, he's a, he's a nice Danish person. He's just not going to, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But he does, he does avoid me like crazy whenever he knows I'm going to be in a room. As well he so, should. Yeah, so it's, it's, I think it everybody just speaks does to his that, wisdom, really. I think about it. Well, anyway, you say you were talking to him about this. Yeah, so I was talking to him about it, and and basically, you know, the first response, which is you almost always get this when you say, "Okay, here's what I want." The first response is, "Why do you want that?" Yeah, why would you do right? that? Right. Right. Why do you need that? And essentially, the answer is elegance. Right. I can do something elegantly with fewer classes. I can implement design patterns more effectively with virtual static methods than I can without. And then ultimately, as as I recall, the the limitation was one that was imposed by the CLR. So the CLR doesn't doesn't allow this, and so C sharp can't exploit it. And then secondarily, resources. The resources don't exist to make it happen. Ah. So 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 that that was um, so that's what we got from there. By the way, I'm I'm actually interviewing Mad Storgerson tomorrow. Uh, and Microsoft, I'm going over there for DevExpress TV, and I'm going to be interviewing him, talking to him about async and, wow, and cool. things like that. So, so, uh, so uh, that's kind of interesting because you know the uh, I, I don't try to ever ask to interview Anders Halsberg because of you know <laughs> it just sets off alarm incidents. bells at Microsoft Security when you do that and yeah. stuff like that. But you know, I was thinking about asking asking Mads. I was thinking, you know, this I, I was going to ask him. You know, Mads, are there any metrics for measuring the quality of a language of a programming language? And and 
And if he was, I don't know what he's going to say on that, if there is, if there are, if there are not, but you, you know, like as an example, how much code does it take? How many lines of code does it take to do something, to do a task? Mm. How many characters does it take? That sort of thing, right? Because if you look in C sharp, one of the things that, that showed up, it kind of looked like a bandaid a bit to me was the var keyword, right? Yeah. You get this, the var keyword comes up and it's kind of like, oh yeah, we realized that, you know, the syntax for generics was pretty weighty. It was pretty heavy, right? You've got all of these, you know, shift characters. Hold on the shift key to get the angle brackets in C sharp or the the parens in VB, right? Which are kind of hard to type. And so they said, hey, let's do a var keyword so we can just, you know, implicitly declare this. The presumption there is that brevity is a superior programming feature, but there's a limit, right? I mean, I I would argue sure. that um, that Lisp is one of the most brief languages you can get to the point of complete obscurity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't go too far, right? So there's, so there's, so brevity is one of them. The other one is this, you know, the, the, the thing I alluded to is the shift key, right? How many times do you have to, you know, how many, if you, if you list all the legal characters of the language, how many of those characters require you to hold the shift key to hit right. them? Right. Right. Is, is maybe a metric I might be proposing, right? Yeah. The fewer of those, the better. So. Hmm. It's, it's interesting to sort of set up a metric around what, what an ideal language looks like because, and it, and I also think that there's a personality element to that too. The, the perfect language sure. isn't the same for all people. Right. So, um, so what do you think about the new access to compiler services that, uh, Anders has been talking about co code that can dynamically compile code? Um, you know, I think it's really cool stuff. It is not things that we are probably going to exploit for, for us when in, in building code rush and, yeah. and the IDE tools, because we've kind of already got some of, you know, essentially what we need to be able to do those same right. kinds of things. But, but, uh, but in general, I think it's really, really cool whenever you, you start exposing, um, the ability to, you know, introspect and look at, look at language and do things with language, well, right? I, with, with programming language. I think it's really, really powerful stuff. So I really think C sharp is in this place and .NET has come to this place too, where it's just really, really good. And, you know, Microsoft is, trying to innovate and trying to make better what's already really, really good. And so what happens there? Yeah, I think I, I agree with that, Carl. I, I, my, my sense is that, you know, there's, there's not much, really, you know, that I think you need in C Sharp with the exception of, you know, being able to deal with multiple threads, you know, programming in parallel, right. making that simpler and easier. And, and the, the other thing, though, so, so we're talking about language, right? So with yeah. language, I think you have, have potential advancements there. Although, you know, let's look at WPF for a second. It's, it is pretty verbose when it, you, you, it comes time to implement a, uh, a property, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. right? A, a property in, uh, in, in, uh, in WPF or in Silverlight is, is, is verbose. And the language could come in and, and make some, you know, uh, some, some, some enhancements there to make it easier to, to clean that up a bit. That's, that's something you could do, I suppose. And, but, and are you really you talking know, about the, the verbosity is, of XAML here? Hmm. Wait, what did you say? Are you really talking about the verbosity of XAML? Oh, I'm not actually. No, I'm talking about like, for example, when you declare a, a, a property inside WPF, mm -hmm. uh, and you want to like, you, you want to hook into when that the value is going to about to be changed or has just changed. You want to hook into that. There's a lot of code that you have to write right. to declare that as a property, and that code is essentially the same, like. You know, it has the same, it has very few pieces that change. The type changes, for example, the name of the property, the default value changes. Um, those kinds of things change, but everything else, there's, there's, there's a fair amount of code that you have to write to make it all, to make that whole thing work. And so, you know, we, 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 we've added templates and I think, you know, uh, to CodeRush to make that easier and, and Visual Studio added code snippets, I think as well, or at least you, I know you can download these if they're not part of Visual Studio, but, but you, you know, to make this easier, but what's happening is we're, we're pushing out this verbose code where, you know, the essence of it is, is the pieces that change. That's the essence of it, right? I want right. I want I want I want a, uh, I want a dependency property of this type. Here's its name. Here's its default value. Right. That's the essence of it. Right. And it's it's those three things are the essence and maybe a few more if I'm going to be, you know, responding to changes in it. But 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 in order to to define that essence, I have to put out like, you know, 300, 300 to 500 characters, I think, something like that. So so that is, you know, for, for so so I, I, I just threw this out, you know, at the top of my head. You know, it's it's not something I actually expect C Sharp to go it's not a direction I see expecting them to go. And they could have done this years ago. When, or they could have done what WPF first came out 
to make it more usable and easier to declare things. But they decided not to, and I'm sure they decided not to for you know uh, for a good reason. I'll probably actually ask Mads about this tomorrow. See what's going on with that. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So, so what is it about uh, developers and about Microsoft and about the whole community that when something gets to a point that it's just perfect working, like works great, there's no way that it needs to be improved that everybody freaks out and looks for the next thing? You know what I mean? Like to me, .NET works really, really well. And, and if I want to develop an application, it's easy to do. Now, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying, though? I know what you're saying, but I don't, I don't share your opinion that, that everybody's freaking out and looking for the next thing. Maybe it's thing. just a small group, I, then. I, you, well, you might get that, Carl, because you're kind of in the news and, you know, in, in the business of spreading, you know, exciting new things out. And so these kinds of, you know, people would, you know, gravitate towards you and say, here, look at this. But, yeah. you know, I, the, the thing about programming is it's kind of, there's, there's, there's two aspects to it that are, uh, I think, that, that can be de- improved. One is the language, which we've been talking about. Right. But the other is tooling, right? And so yeah. from the standpoint of, hey, I'm using Visual Studio, I'm using my language of choice, C Sharp, VB, F Sharp, whatever it is. And, and, and what you see is you, you sometimes see advances in both the language and tooling at the same time. Yep. Right. And, 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 and other times you may see just advances in the language and other times you may see only advances in the tooling. But from my perspective, the advances, while we're seeing kind of like this, you know, the law of diminishing returns apply here to what yeah. new changes are we going to make to the C sharp language, which I think is actually a good thing. I actually think C sharp is, you know, should be developed slowly and carefully now from this point forward. You Agreed. Know, with, with care. A lot of care should be taken into each thing as we, that we add to it because it is so mature. Um, and I think in general, I have the same opinion with the .NET framework as well. I think we need to proceed in that, you know, in, in a, in a similar direction there with, with care and with, you know, good intent. But, but when the area of tooling, I, I see that as still like almost wide open. There are still a lot of things that we can do to make developers more efficient, more productive, and, uh, and, and that where we can use more of the power of the computer to help out the developer as the developer's working. So I see that still as a as a direction that 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 even if there are people that say, hey, you know, what's the next greatest thing out there to to work in, you know, the that tooling, those tooling improvements that I see coming down the line, I think are still going to keep people, you know, uh, feeling very warm and cozy inside of Visual Studio with C Sharp or VB or or whatever language they're picking. You know, another thing that shipped uh, in beta in 2010 is Light Switch. Mm, which, right. which, you know, it seems like a wrapper over top of all the .NET 4.0 stuff to simplify things even further. Yeah. Well, I like the thing I like about Light Switch is this kind of this connection, this 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 idea that 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 there's that data and UI can be wrapped up together in in kind of a an, an entity that that allows me to do something like uh, say, okay, here's my data in, in my database. I've got a phone number. And now I want to allow the the the, uh, the user to change that phone number. Right. And so as a as a result of that, knowing that it's a phone number, I can now have a UI that allows me to enter phones phone numbers depending and and have that be intelligent based on where the phone might be located, what country, for example, with rules and things like that. And uh, and as a developer, I don't have to you know worry about those. Uh, uh, the, the business logic, right? The business logic, the UI, and the data can kind of all be connected, and and I like that a lot. I think that's 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 definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this ultimately goes. It feels access like to me, and I'm not saying that in sure. a negative way. Yeah, I'm saying it's it, it was about packaging up a bunch of you know access had its faults, but you can't argue that folks built. 80% completed apps in very, very little time. And they wrestled over that last 20. And Light Switch isn't perfect, but it looks like a revisit to that mindset. And if we can address the 20%, we're going to be just fine. 
I contend you will not be able to address the 20% for a while. You know, all of, all of these kinds of tools, right, it, it, where they, they say, well, let's get you started for the common things you're likely to be able, you know, to want to do when working with data and UI. Yeah. They, they, it's, like, it's like getting in, in one of those rides at a theme park where it just shoots you out really fast. And then you slow down. You just come down to a, you know, a, a slowdown when once you've, you know, you're out of that. And then you're left with this, you know, if it's the first time you're using this, using it, a pretty big learning curve in terms of understanding, okay, now how do I now get the next piece of the puzzle implemented? Right. And that to me is, is, is it's a huge problem, Richard, right? Because everybody has something different that they need to do then. And, and, but everybody, you know, it, it's, Everybody wants to go just as fast as they did at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a psychological issue that it's such a letdown of how fast you were going versus when you've got to get to the last fa- stages, how hard it is to go further. It is, absolutely. And so, like, if if, if I was tasked with, with solving that last 20%, that would be really challenging task, right? I would take, it would take a lot of devs, a lot of years, I think, to get to a point where we could essentially hold your hand and help you go in the right direction all, you know, with, with the same amount of speed and, and, uh, that, that you experienced in the first, you know, 80%. And this is not an issue unique to light switch either. Heck, all developments like this. Right. Yeah, we we have a we have a tool called XAF, which is the same kind of thing where it's like you know it it builds you know web based and client and and, and desktop based applications with a single source code base, decouples data from you, builds the UI, all of this stuff, and you have the exact same problem. Customers are saying, okay, it's great for the first eighty percent, and now what do I do next? And and they right? everybody it's, goes in different directions for that last twenty, so there's no simple solve for it. Right, it's 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 essentially you know tech support, cons- it, it, almost in the role of consulting, right? People are like, how do I do this? Right? How do I do this? Yeah. And it's a different question. And so yeah, there's definitely definitely a challenge with these kinds of products, but they 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 demo pretty well though. You know, <laughs> goes- yeah. Well, I I think we really need to pa- wait to pass judgment on light switch in general until the you know it ships ships. Because, you know, what people say about the beta doesn't really have to do anything with what's really going to happen. You know, my sense on it is that is that this problem, this 20% problem is so big that there's no way Microsoft could solve this in the next couple of years, you know, unless yeah. they had hundreds of developers on this. I, I, I think that it, you can predict that that experience with LightSwitch is going to be there. It's going to be 80% get you right there. And the last 20% is going to be a learning curve. The, really, the, I think the biggest challenge between now and the shipping is how do we minimize the learning curve? How do we train? How do we get people the word out for that last 20% mm-hmm. right. so that the community can pick that up instead of that being a tech support hit for us? Right. If the community comes in and says, Hey, you know what? We're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a training company. I'm going to train you on that last point, 20%. Those kinds of things that can really help Microsoft and can help light switch, I think, be successful. Well, one thing that was very successful this year was Silverlight 4. And no year end wrap up show would be complete without talking about Silverlight 4. And, you know, we forget how successful Silverlight has been. I mean, if I could just rattle off a few companies that are using this, NASA, eBay, Netflix, NBC, NBC Sports, The Olympics, MTV, Kelly Blue Book, Continental Airlines, MGM Studios, the Library of Congress, Hard Rock International, Toyota, San Diego Zoo, National Instruments, the Country Music Association, Kimberly Clark. Like, Silverlight is everywhere. And it's being used, uh, I think, it's being used in that cutting-edge video delivery more than anything. I, 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 don't, I don't see, I, I see Silverlight as, you know, an alternative to Flash where there are flashy things on a website. But I think the real strength uh, of Silverlight has been that, you know, has been. And I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying it has been in adoption, that high-def Well, that video. was its original capability, right? Yeah. Anyways. This, it actually has a really great solution for, for streaming video. And now I think that there's even more success with Silverlight 4 and started in Silverlight 3, but in the enterprise for line of business applications. And then you throw the phone into the equation. Now I'm building in one language and one development technique, desktop, web, and phone. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Windows Phone 7, of course, and Silverlight sort of Silverlight go hand in hand. No, I have it. So here's here's my here's my Windows Phone story. So uh, we had a prototype 
Richard and I got a prototype from Microsoft that was, uh, you know, the developer phone. And it was, you know, it was okay, but it was it was full of beta code and it was kind of buggy. So I gave it to my daughter, and I think I told this on a different show, but I gave it to my daughter, Emmy, and I said, hey, take this, beat on it, tell me what you think. She was up in running. She had all her Facebook contacts uh, in there and all her whatever, her contacts from her previous phone, like in five minutes. She's like, I love this phone. And she beat on it and beat on it and beat on it. And then one day, now this is a prototype, right? But then one day it was just like, boop, got a little command line error when it booted up and it never came back. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so she crashed it. But nice. it, but again, this is not, a, you know, this was a prototype. It wasn't, it was beta, right? So uh, come uh, Christmas, I went down to my AT&T store. And it's always an interesting thing to go to your local AT&T store as a, regional director who's been dealing with the phone for a long time just to listen to him give you the pitch you know on the phone and yep. how cool it is and all this stuff and you don't want to say yeah yeah I know what you're talking about you know I just let him go and uh, it turned out that since I had upgraded my one of my phones in the last two years or something I wasn't eligible for the full discount but I did manage to get it for a decent price I got it for uh, two ninety nine. Which is pretty good, but they were giving they're doing buy one get one free for one ninety nine and which phone was this? This is the Samsung Focus, yeah, which the one I've got I love that and phone. Very I impressive. gave it to her for Christmas, and she loves it, so. yep, they should make a pink, yeah, that's right, <laughs> that's so funny, so I will be eligible for a new phone because I don't want to pay six hundred bucks for a phone, you know, I'll be eligible for a new phone in February. So that's when I'm I'm going from my iPhone to the Windows 7 phone. Gladly. Well, what does that leave? I mean, we've got Windows Phone 7. I think the, the story's still out. Everyone's trying to figure out how many they've actually sold, but uh, the development model is hard to beat. The store seems to be working. All right. Uh, well, you know, we're down to the Kinect. Yeah, I guess it's got to be The Kinect is it? the fastest selling gadget of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And that they, they wiped a Canada out. You couldn't get one for love or money. Well, I don't know about Canada, but you could always get them in the States. They didn't run out in the States. Um, even, you know, going up to Christmas, they were still had piles of them at Best Buy. You could get them online. And uh, the it outsold the iPad. The, the story that, and somebody can, if you want my sources, I'll find it for you. But I think it was Reuters. I'm not sure. But the iPad sold in the first 25 days, sold 2 million uh, copies, and the Kinect uh, sold 2.5 million in wow. the first 25 right. days. And yeah, so the was, iPad had a shortage, the Kinect did not. Yeah, and I was one of those guys who bought an iPad, and I hooked it up to my Xbox, and it does not work. You kept waving your hands years. at it, and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happens. I really was burned by the iPad, I feel. <laughs> and I think the story of Connect isn't the fact that Connect came out, but the the hacks that came out. That unbelievable. Now, hacks. if you go, this is the my favorite website, connecthacks.net. Just go to connecthacks.net and you'll see videos of everything that everybody's doing with the Connect and the open source drivers that have come out for Windows. Um, what they're doing just with regular cameras, unbelievable. And and there's a few here that I want to bring your attention to. Richard, did you see that, uh, the medical thing that they're doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, and I can't tell you on what page it is, but if you search it's, for- It's on the main page. It's just down- Well, yeah, but I mean, by the one? time people are listening to this, it could be a few pages back. But it's December okay. 22nd, 2010, and it's Vertopsy. I mean, you could probably go to YouTube- in search for Vertopsy, V-I-R-T-O-P-S-Y. And the whole idea of this was that a surgeon that is doing surgery or an autopsy, uh, they want access to data on their computers, but they now have to you know, either use a foot pedal or a voice command or touch a screen, which you know can lead to contamination and all this kind of stuff, while they're performing surgery. So now they can just pick up their hand and wave it and moving around and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I beautiful. thought I thought this was really cool. In the back of my mind I hear Miller going, you know, uh, one of your early criticisms of the Connect Miller was uh, that people are going to get tired holding their hands up all the time. 
And, right. And that this is I think not. That, the, that sounds like something I would have said. Yeah, this is not the ultimate user interface. While it's cool and it's gadgety, um, you know, a surgeon is much better off using, uh, you know, voice command to a computer than so they what, are actually taking their hands off of uh, the patient and moving it around. So, you know, that's interesting because I, I've, I have since changed a little bit of my perspective since I said the last thing about the Kinect. And that is that uh, I, I have seen demonstrations where the hands are more down by the waist in terms of a lot of the signals that they give. Yeah. And it looks incredibly natural to me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, yeah. I actually have a Kinect on my desk right now. I don't have an Xbox anywhere within within like, you know, a mile of me probably or maybe a half mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a Kinect uh, uh, on my desk and we're actually working on a demo uh, for controlling Visual Studio, writing code and refactoring using essentially just standing in front of it using hand signals and things like that. So we're, do- we're working on that. Wow, I, have a, cool. I can give you a tiny URL and you can see a picture if you want of the uh, the preview for this. Sure. It's tiny tiny URL two four F as in Foxtrot three X is in X ray two and then I think it's uh, an L as in Lima. It looks like a lowercase. So tinyurl.com dot com slash two four F three X two L. And if I'm reading that correctly, <laughs> it should take you to something that says Minority Report meets Visual Studio. That's nice. really cool. I mean, I knew that you were going to get this into Code Rush and all that stuff. It just makes sense, right? It's 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 really it's really fun. Yeah, we're actually working through the the hand signals. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for hacking the Connect when you're talking about this kind of control is that the resolution of the camera is so low that it's really hard to get finger positions. In fact, Microsoft says you can't see the fingers. But if you get the camera in close enough, you can see the fingers. And, uh, you know, again, though, the problem is Microsoft wrote all of this code that I believe exists inside the Xbox yeah. that 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 does um, essentially gives you a skeleton. Right. Right. And so what's happening now is, is you know, all these people that are hacking it are, are kind of racing to write skeleton producing code, code that can yeah. t- replace what's in the Xbox and, and run on a PC. Right. And, and what we're trying to do is get it so that it actually shows the fingers as well. So finger positions is, 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 is a, it's a little bit tricky to do. But, but yes, the data that comes back from this is very, very cool. You essentially get, you get both, you get two images, right? You get a, a visual camera image and then you get a, a kind of a 3D heat map, which is the same image. Right, the same, the same, the same, uh, or, or pretty much the same image. The camera's slightly off, but it's essentially the same image. But it tells you the distance of each point that's out there. Yeah. So it's very, very cool. Well, there's, yeah. there's basically, I, I'm adapting a little bit of your uh, thought or your earlier thoughts about this, which is, and and it, it's just related that while I think the Connect is the coolest thing in the world, I really do. But I also think everybody's going a little neato crazy right now. You know, like. What can I get the computer to do? It's kind of like a a new puppy, you know, that yeah. uh, a lot of the things that you see on Connect Hacks aren't very practical to use every day, but man, are they cool. Like the coolness mm-hmm. factor is just w- wicked up there. And I think it's I think it's really up to us as developers to to find that balance about real usability and something that is actually easier to gesture than to type or to say do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's yep. the kind of thing that I'd, I'd like to see a blending of touch and voice and gesture as a user interface that, you know, everything where it's appropriate. Right. I absolutely agree. Yeah, there's there's there are a lot of ways to interact. And I mean, when you think about it, any any kind of device that's hooked up to a machine uh, is essentially a way for you to transmit physical motion right. into an input for the computer, right? The keyboard, yeah. the mouse, all these things. Even voice, it's like physical motion, right? Yeah. And and so you know, it's what's exciting about this is that it is it it really opens the door in terms of what kinds of things you can do yeah. with regard to controlling. I mean, our our intention, Carl, is to make it so that so that using the Connect is more efficient than using a keyboard and mouse. That is right. our intention. Um, I'm not, you know, at this point, I'm not sure, you know, how successful we'll be between now and March, but that's what we want to be able to do. We want to be able, I want to be able to create something where if I'm using a mouse and a keyboard, I'm thinking, God, I wish I had to connect with that yeah. right now, you know, to, to write code in Visual Studio. That's kind of where I want to be. Yeah. 
Well, we're just about out of time. Mark, you got any things that you want to add at the last minute here? Well, you know, I was just thinking we were talking about the connect, right? And we're talking about, you know, what's what we're seeing on the internet. And and it's just I just want to say it's so, you know, bleeping exciting that that we live in a world now where where you can see all of this innovation, right? In the 1950s to innovate, what did you do? You 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 bought something, you took it apart, right? You took apart your clock, your whatever, and you looked at how it was built, right? You could see that. And then we started moving into a, you know, a world where you couldn't really see how things were built. So taking apart your, you know, modern day computer, you're not going to learn that much from it, right? You really have takes a lot of study. But then now with the connect, right, we're back in this world where you have all of these people and they have an area where they can invent, right? You can invent new UI, new ways of interacting and controlling things. And, and you can have hundreds of people working on this essentially in your, it's kind of like having a virtual garage where you're tinkering and building and creating something new. And it's, it's really exciting to see some of the things that people are working on, the ideas. It really gives you a peek into the future. Instead of going to a, a movie and watching, you know, a sci-fi movie to see what their vision of the future is, we actually have people that can create prototypes of their vision, right? We can actually do that now. Yeah. So it's really exciting. It's to a very to exciting this, time. To see other people's work and, and to share that with others. I love it. And it's also a time when I think there's a lot of people that haven't been into uh, .NET or C Sharp or VBNet because, you know, it's just been, eh, okay. And now that there's all these opportunities to go in a million different directions, and it's not just .NET, let's face it. I mean, technology is exploding everywhere. Now it, it, you really wish you had paid attention in that fundamental programming class, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You wish you had. All right. Well, guys, uh, Richard, you got anything uh, that you want to add before we sign off here, buddy? I'm looking forward to next year. I think there's going to be more and more and more. I think the big problem hasn't been solved is parallelism, but the new e, the new interfaces are coming along great. Yeah. I can't wait to see what next year brings. It's going to be exciting, folks. Hey, can I plug my – I just want to plug – I'm going to – like I talked about interviewing uh, Mads Torgerson tomorrow, and, and uh, that's going to show up on tv.devexpress.com. So if anybody's interested in hearing that, they can go over to tv.devexpress.com, search for Mads, and, uh, and find that interview. Awesome. Great, Mark. Thanks. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next year, the next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.